Good afternoon and welcome back to the final instalment of Elite Business Live 2022. Welcome back to our live studio audience and welcome back to those of you joining us from home. I'm really excited about this next session. In a slight change to the advertised schedule, we'll now not be joined by Alison Stewart-Allen, who is quite fittingly uh, lost somewhere in Paris. Um, instead, we'll be ably uh, supported in this next session by Jacob Tondil, who is, amongst other things, the managing director of Coco Fina. Uh, he also has another couple of businesses that he's going to tell us about very shortly. For those of you that aren't familiar with Coco Fina, they import and export all sorts of wonderful coconut products, which we're going to hear about right now. Please welcome to the stage, stage Jacob Tondil. Hello. 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 Looking forward to hearing all about this. And one of my big kind of areas of expertise at the moment that I'm writing about all the time is supply chain issues, Brexit, the maelstrom that is COVID, and now obviously we have a war uh, as well to, to contemplate and the impacts on the supply chain. So lots going on for you and your business, I'm sure. Yeah. And I used to, um, my son's into superheroes. And I used to tell him that I'm businessman, you know. And I feel like that now because we got COVID, we got Brexit, and we put three dots. So one of them's taken up. I don't know what else is coming up here. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing about how you're fighting all of those fires. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hello, I'm Jacob Tundel. I run uh, three food businesses. Uh, Chief Nut is a job title that stuck very firmly to me, and it's purely my fault because I went on national TV and I'm a self-proclaimed chief nut. So uh, I have two other food businesses. Uh, one is a business that brews soya, fish and oyster sauce alternatives using Scottish seaweed instead of soya. And the third business, also a lockdown baby. Uh, it's a patent uh, to brew tea without tea bags. So it's a fully dissolving tea bag. So I started Cocofina in 2005. And uh, we export now to 30 different countries. We import raw materials from five countries. And uh, the complexities that Brexit, COVID, um, I even have customers in Ukraine. So it's all quite heartbreaking. And also, it's quite painful to deal with every day. So um, I'll talk about my triumphs and my challenges. And one of the important things about preparing for this event was I've been caught up in trying to deal with the day-to-day -day challenges, but it helped me to understand what we had achieved in the last two years, and it helped me to get past the everyday firefighting, because I don't want to come up here and say, like, everyone, uh, you know, quit your jobs and start a business, and it's amazing. Well, I still, I still would say that, because, you know, I create trouble in two different ways. One is I convince people to give up stable jobs and take extreme risks, uh, and then uh, I play with other people's food. So there's two, two troublemaking things that I do. I make food more healthy, obviously. Um, so my experience is mostly in the food industry, and my lessons are transferable, I believe. Uh, we have brand Britain behind us, uh, and a recent research by a leading high street bank said people would be prepared to pay up to 22% more 
for a food product that's produced in Britain. Fortunately for me, uh, food is one of the most important exports out of the UK. So I consider myself very lucky to have uh, Brand Britain behind me. So a little bit of background uh, about the business. So again, you know, this is the kind of countries we're in. Uh, we're in all the main health food wholesalers. We were on Dragon's Den many, many years ago. And that's a photo from there. This is a case study that DIT did. 45% of our sales come from exports. This is the new venture that uh, I mentioned earlier. It's a company called Sozier. So we brew sauces in the UK using sustainable Scottish seaweed. That's what the sauces look like. They've been launched in Planet Organic uh, 1st of January. We've, today we've been told that we're gaining two more listings, so it's been going really well. So I want to start with why us, why me? Because I think we need to firmly believe in uh, what value we bring to the exporting world. Uh, as Brand Britain, you know, food is a very important um, export. We have a very strong food standard regime. So people believe in the checks and the, um, the standards that go behind the production of our food. In terms of organic standards, our food's all organic certified, including the sources. The standards that we follow, from my experience, is better than any other country because uh, we adopt changes, you know, whether it's to do with uh, welfare or whether it's to do with packaging. We're way ahead of the curve compared to any other country. There's a high uh, level of trust and also un uncompromising quality um, in terms of our products. And I mean like as a country. So um, the other thing is also to do with innovation. If you look at products that are on shelf in any of the uh, trending stores like Whole Foods or Planet Organic, or if you come to the, any of the trade shows, you can see that British companies are leading on innovation. And that's a quote that I mentioned to you earlier. Consumers around the world would pay more if food was produced in the UK. And that uh, should be a good reassurance for you to give you confidence. Uh, I wanted to share um, some lessons with you that I learned uh, making mistakes uh, in choosing my export partner. And this is uh, something that I've developed over the years. So when I choose an export partner, because our model is that we choose to work with a local partner exclusively, we help him to understand uh, our products, we support him with the marketing, but they give us local cultural uh, know-how and also they open doors for us in the local market. So it's very important who you choose and we have chosen wrong, the wrong type of partners and we know what kind of people work. So we look at sector experience, like does the person have experience, let's say we start from, you know, has he ever sold him or her, has he ever sold food before? What is the size of the business? Because sometimes uh, you can interface with the wrong um, size of company. I'll give you an example. Uh, we were in Japan. Uh, we got approached by Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi is one of the largest companies in Japan. They, they make everything from pencils to rockets. But the catalog is that big. So the, what they're proposing is that they'll put our products in the catalog. Uh, 
So it might not be the right one for us. So you need to be wary of what size of company you're interfacing with. You should look at what existing portfolio that your distributors have. So let's say uh, your distributors are selling candy and you're trying to sell health food. Uh, often, even the buyers that come to buy candy won't be responsible for health food. Or even, let's say you're selling a totally unrelated product to that category. So it's important to know what their existing portfolio is. What existing channels do they distribute to, for example? Like for us, uh, health food is a very important channel. So we would be talking about people like Holland and Barrett. Um, if we are talking about um, someone in Sweden, we'd be talking about um, chain like Life. So do they distribute to those channels? Because you're not going to get a distributor going there to deliver just your products. So you need to see what channels they have. What are the first impressions uh, and what do you feel about them as a distributor? So obviously your customers are going to get the same feeling that you get. Uh, do they align with you in terms of ethics and ethos? Who are the people behind the business? Because sometimes you meet uh, a mid-sized company and you don't get to meet the people. And then later on down the line, when the product starts to sell, you end up meeting the people behind the brand and you think, oh, I wouldn't have worked with these people or I should have met these people before. So it'll be very important to meet them up front. Is there any conflict of interest? Because when we work exclusively with a distributor abroad, uh, we look at uh, conflict of interest. Because if there's two products that are exactly the same, which one is he going to present to the market? Which one is he going to say is better? So. Um, there's an issue there. Uh, with COVID, I thought it's important to say, you know, make sure you visit them because sometimes uh, glossy websites and corporate brochures are very nice to see. And even Zoom has background these days. You might see a seaside, but you don't know what's behind it. So it'll be useful to go and visit them. And the last point in this is that I've learned the hard way is uh, as entrepreneurs, we're always eager to make a deal work. Uh, every lead is not an opportunity to sell. Some of them you need to walk away from. Like we had an inquiry last week and it was from an American company that was looking to buy, looking to invite us to a tender, to tender for $35 million worth of condiments. And we're, one, we're two months, the, the new business is two months and 10 days old. And at that point we need to say, Oh, I don't think this is, we're not ready yet. So every lead is not an opportunity. You know, you, you, gotta, you gotta filter them. So I thought I'll talk about uh, Triumphs because uh, I wanted to say these are my challenges. I wanted to say um, this was a difficult part of my business, but I want to call it Triumph because I'm a survivor. I sell food with shelf life. I export to 30 countries, mostly in Europe. I still export to my customers in Europe. I import from five countries. I sell organic uh, certified products. I buy and sell in GBP and Euro. Production happens in three different countries, labels in 12 languages. And I got the competition chasing the hell out of me in Europe because the market access is restricted now. So lessons that I've learned. It's harder, but the price makes it worthwhile because I think uh, who's going to be left now is going to win most of the chips. So we need to survive. 
we need to push on. We need to reimagine our business because during COVID, we, we pivoted to being more of an online business. We pivoted to um, finding out more about the people that are consuming our products. Regulations and um, documentation has changed a lot over this time because even in uh, Europe, uh, labeling regulations have changed uh, post-Brexit. So you need to keep updated. Don't forget the value that you bring to the table because it's very often uh, things like price and things like um, uh, USPs of product can get too fo you can get too focused on it in the sense that uh, you get carried away and you don't realize your own value. Don't forget to dream. Don't forget to innovate. Because I think if I hadn't uh, reinvented my business over lockdown, I know all of us ate and drank a lot. I did as well. I watched less Netflix, and I focused on trying to make my business ready for post-COVID. Open to questions. Very much, Jacob. Fascinating. Would you come and take a seat with me? Because I'm going to ask you some questions now in what we love to call a fireside chat in the business. Now, as usual, we want any any questions from you guys. Please do jump in. <gasps> We've got one straight off the bat. Thank you very much indeed, Jordan. Quick. There we go. She's coming to you with the mic. Uh, great presentation. Um, I have two questions. The first um, question is, how did you find the right distributor? So what channels did you use to get to them? Were they inbound or outbound? And secondly, what was your rationale around giving exclusivity to your partners locally? Okay, the first one, um, I always, so in my second business, I'm finding that it's better that people come to you. So uh, in this day and age, I'm using a lot of digital and I'm using a lot of like, if I'm trying to approach a French distributor, then I'm making sure that I've translated uh, that part of the website in French and I'm trying to attract traffic there. Uh, we, had three, um, th we had three targets in the UK. One we approached directly and two came to us. It was quite surprising to me that someone would come and approach you, but it was so much easier when they come to you. But in the early days, this was started 18 years ago. We did trade shows in London. My first ever exporting lead came from a UK trade show because uh, I believe London is the center of the world. People come here. So trade shows, uh, we, had, we have a good relationship with Brunel University uh, we, where we can pick up um, students that speak all sorts of languages. So if you needed an Italian speaker to approach an Italian market, make phone calls, emails, it isn't that expensive because you can offer a placement to a student. Um, and I think the next question was... Rationale behind exclusivity as opposed to having multiple partners in a yeah. market. Well, when, you, when you're trying to build a virtual uh, team, you have to offer something to them so you get commitment because either you have to spend the money up front and hire people to do the job that they're doing or you got to give that commitment to them that they're going to do the work, but they're going to enjoy the rewards of it later. Does that answer that your question? Thank you. I would like to know on distributors as well, and I'm sure we'll touch on this pa on the panel again. Uh, something I find with the entrepreneurs I speak to is, is, the, is, do you go for a 
large distributor or a small distributor because to a large distributor you could just be a really small part of their portfolio um, but they're all likely to have you know more resources or do you go for a smaller and you know you'll be a kind of bigger fish in a smaller pond I suppose what's your thought so on that so if you're starting up um, I would punch slightly above my weight not way out there because I wouldn't choose Mitsubishi but I would choose not calling out any names. I'm just talking about figuratively. Yeah. Uh, but I would definitely choose someone mid-size, someone who has really focused effort in your area because all of these things have to align because let's say someone's really big, but they're very focused in your area. Mm -hmm. I would choose them. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now what I want to do, I want to go back to the beginning because we heard lots about your international journey, but I want to contextualize that for everybody here. So can you just tell us a bit about how you got started? So where the idea came from? And I also want to talk about Dragon's Den and what happened there because there were some interesting articles written afterwards by colleagues at The Sun. So I would like to know about okay. that. So just to let you know that one's on its way. Uh, so tell us, yeah, about the, uh, the origins of the business. Yeah, so I'm originally from a place called Kerala. Kerala means land of coconuts. Uh, I was a buyer category manager working in the city. Mm -hmm. I traveled to Brazil and uh, I was sitting on a beach and, and I desperately wanted to quit and start a business, but I didn't know what. But then I was given a coconut to drink and I thought, oh, this is what I, you know, this is what I love. No one knew, at the time, it wasn't a packaged product. So uh, I kept going up and down with my notice in my bag because I didn't have the, the you know, the guts to hand it in because I had a one-year-old and a mortgage and a, and a car and everything. But then six weeks in, uh, I handed it in and, um, and that's where it started. Have you ever regretted that decision, even fleetingly? Well, I've, um, mostly it was uh, people that I know that said, you're mad to do this. So it was just frustration, not ever regret. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe now, uh, if this continues for another five years... <laughs> we'll ask you again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so what have been some of those kind of challenges in the early days? Because we've got people here, again, who are kind of quite early in their business journeys, right? Um, and they're just getting started. They're just getting those first few customers. You know, how do you really push forward with that business development side? It, it's got to be... Uh, well balanced because initially I'm assuming that the team's going to be quite small. Mm -hmm. So in my case, uh, you need to make sure that when you have the customer, you have the product. When you have the product, you need the customer. So it's, a, it's even now with the logistics issues, uh, you will have tons of customers calling you when you don't have the product because no one else does. That's why they call you. So it's important to balance out that because you don't want to scale up uh, to a point where you have demand but you don't have the product. Uh, you need to have a clear target of who you are targeting because uh, like the business that I'm building right now, I've done what I've done in five years in two months because I have literally know what I'm doing. I don't need to like call a hundred people. I know I only need to call five. So it's being very, very focused, having a plan, uh, having a business plan, very important. What goes and what goes into your business plan, or what went into your business plan in those early days? We were talking about this actually just before uh, you joined us, and it's really interesting to hear, isn't it? I know lots of entrepreneurs who kind of write a few notes on the back of, you know, we say on the back of a fag packet. Of course, none of us smoke anymore, um, but 
you know, that kind of idea, just scribble a few notes down and you just get going. Um, are you more of a planner? Uh, never used to be, mm -hmm. because I did planning as part of my job. So it was more rebellious and left. I, I scaled my business to a million on a spreadsheet. So when HMRC came to do an you know, inspection, they were like, where's your account? So I was give them the spreadsheet. And the guy said, forget I came here because it was all there. And uh, it wasn't, you know, they couldn't run reports. And, and that day I r decided that I was going to move to Sage. So I got the accounting package. I put it in there. Now I'm structured. Uh, but initially when I started, I didn't have any plan. In my head, I knew that I might be running out of money. I need to collect money from the customers it was literally like that but i wouldn't do that again mm -hmm. okay and other accounting software providers are available um oh, sorry. so <laughs> <Someone here? laughs> no 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 we don't have one as a sponsor <laughs> um so uh, but who was the first member of staff you hired yeah the first one i hired wasn't very successful um, she ordered um, i think it was eight thousand envelopes or something when i was asking for a small packet of you know we used to send the invoices out right and then when she said she's going on holiday and wanted to extend it, um, I said, don't come back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> because, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't meant to be. But the real, the real first, uh, because, you know, I hire very quickly, mm -hmm. uh, but I also get rid of people very quickly because the problem is that an interview is uh, not, uh, you know, you can't find out everything about everyone in an interview. And you've got to give people a chance. The, the first month is the interview. So, you know, you do the job. If it doesn't work out, then... Uh, wow, brutal. Um, uh, do you, <laughs> how, many how many team members do you have now? Now we're seven. Okay, and how's that working out? All right? Yeah, it's good. Okay, it's good. good stuff. Um, and do you have anybody overseas over, you know, kind of managing that, or do you manage it all remotely from the UK? Uh, it's mostly from the UK. Mm-hmm. And how about you? Travelling? Are you back on a plane yet? No, I'm not. And will you go back to travelling? Hopefully, yeah, because uh, I'm desperate to go now because, you know, I've been sitting here and working on all the plans. I'm ready now. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good to know. Right, everyone wants to know about Dragon's Den now because I think I've lined this up perfectly. Okay. So tell us about what happened on Dragon's Den. So Dragon's Den is not uh, how it seems. I was in there for three and a half hours. Uh, they only show you 15 minutes. And they approached you, I believe. Yeah. So you, you've done a bit of research. <laughs> yes. It's kind of my job. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, they approached me. I actually thought it was some kind of scam. Because yeah. I got an email saying, uh, yeah, you, you actually spoke to my friend, isn't it? Uh, I introduced uh, Grace to uh, the person that poached, took me to Dragon's Den. So I thought it was some kind of scam because I got an email saying, uh, do you want to come on Dragon's Den? So I was thinking you know but then uh, uh, I called the BBC switchboard I still do that you know because I, I need to check who yeah. it is so I have trust yeah. issues uh, so I call <laughs> evidently <laughs> uh, that's coming through loud and clear yeah yeah so I call I call the switchboard and uh, lo and behold the person answered the phone mm -hmm. so I was convinced and uh, I thought uh, you know what I can always say no later so I turned up for the meeting mm -hmm. and during the meeting they said uh, do you want to do a little pitch so I can show it to the producer so I did a little pitch, and then I thought I could always say no later. So then the producer said, oh, it was brilliant. You should come. Yep. So I said, okay, I'll come, but I can always say no again, right, later. So I went there again. 
And then they said uh, Deborah Meaden was coming to some awards function that I was going to be there at. So I said, if you need to go on, this is your time because you couldn't have met the dragons before. Right. Then I was like, oh, I I'll say yes now and I can always cancel, right? <laughs> and then, uh, and then, then I ended up there. Yes, so you went on. Tell us, how was the experience? So I had all five because it was uh, very, uh, it was very smooth for me. Uh, I had all five dragons. They were literally asking me uh, to take their offer. Nice showing off, yeah. Carry yeah. On. I mean, uh, well, I heard you mention about the cringe uh, financials. Mine wasn't like that. My financials were in order. <laughs> By then I had sorted <laughs> you had to, it out. You'd memorized the spreadsheet, yeah. right? Yeah. By the time I had sorted it out. So it, it went swimmingly well. Uh, and I had people pitch to me saying, you should choose me. Uh, those parts are not in there. And uh, I chose two. And uh, maybe you want to know about what happened afterwards. Absolutely. I think we all want to know, right? So, so uh, I'm a survivor. I think I'm a survivor because there was 18 competitors I had at one point. Uh, and when we started, um, there was two of us. There's now, we're back to three of us, right? And I saw my spot from the beginning. It wasn't supermarkets. It was premium uh, health food. It was um, independent stores because my product, my coconut water still sells for £3.99 a litre. And it's not because I'm making an extreme amount of profit. It's because it's a good quality, organic certified product. It's 100%. So it's all that stuff. So people buy it because of that reason. Mm -hmm. So I was firmly under the impression that this is what I wanted to do. And I don't want to go further. But but there are other plans. Uh, but the, the people that I chose, the two dragons that I chose, extremely nice and supportive. But unfortunately, uh, with any investor, I think they want to see a return immediately. They want to see growth. They want to, and sometimes uh, it's like the $30 million RFP and tender that, you know, if I had an investor, they'd be saying, you do that. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't want to do it because I'm not ready. You know, I, I don't need to supply the whole planet. Yeah. I think that's a really important lesson, isn't it, about being aligned with any investor that you welcome on board and making sure that you really share that vision so you didn't feel like you shared your vision with them. Yeah, but it was a, we spoke, we worked together for a year because the due diligence was done, everything, you know, they needed some reporting and stuff, which I did get because I had Sage, I was, so Sage got me onto a campaign uh, because they found out that I was working on a spreadsheet. So they said, we'll put you on Sage, but you come and do a national campaign. So they put uh, our company and myself on all the airports and the bus, stop, bus stops and everything. They advertised. So we got a bit of uh, coverage from that. Mm -hmm. And then they also sent a consultant to do the implementation. So now I'm able to run reports to show uh, how much margin I made on a particular invoice, a particular customer, uh, and I can go to that detail, but at that time I couldn't. Mm -hmm. So they had some expectations, you know, oh, can you do this? Uh, can you give me a report? I, I couldn't, but it, it took me through that journey and it helped me immensely. So I don't have any complaints. Well, that's what I was going to say. For anybody in the room thinking about going to pitch their business on Dragon's Den, would you do it all over again? Yeah, I would do it all over again. I actually, I would 
you know, I'd go with my new business, I'd go to Shark Tank. <laughs> would you now? Yeah, I would. Well, you got to get on a plane for that and you said you're not up for it just yet. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> maybe <laughs> next month. Will you stick around and join the panel? We have another couple of panel members about to join us. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Jacob. Thank you for that. And we'll be joined by the panel just after this break. <laughs> 